Well, let's open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In a few minutes, I'll be to that text for today, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now that Christmas is over, we're beginning to evaluate the coming year. Setting goals is a positive thing as, as long as they're realistic, as long as there's some measure of accountability. I think that that helps us become the people God wants us to be. And as we're looking to possibilities in the future, the possibility to be the men and women of God he's called us to be, the possibility to accomplish things that are in our hearts. If I were to share with you today and say, I have the key to personal growth. I want, I want you to know today. I, I, I want to share with you also the key to the renewal of the church. I also want to share with you the key uh, to national revival. This would no doubt catch your attention. Now, I'm not naive enough to know that there's one key to all of those things happening. But what I want to share with you today, I'm so enthusiastic about sharing this with you today, is because I think it touches, I know it touches all of these occurrences, all of these desires for personal renewal, for church renewal, for national renewal. I want to encourage you today, the regular, consistent reading of the Bible this is, this is what I want you to consider as you look into 2016. And I am excited about sharing this with you. This is traditionally one of the more, uh, one of the lowest attendance Sundays of the year, but I, I believe this message has the highest potential of any message I could give this year. One of the characteristics of my ministry has always been encouraging people to read the Bible. When I've done some counseling, whether it's premarital counseling or whether it's uh, just situational or career counseling, almost every time, I, I would dare say 90, 99% of the time, that when I've asked people, are you reading the Bible on a consistent basis, there's been a, a, a sort of lack there. There's been uh, an, an admitting of, of not consistently reading the scripture. And I say this not to your guilt and not to add another half to. There is opportunity before us today. And, and I want you to see that the scripture is a gift to you and that you're going to be so blessed by including it in your life. At the end of the service today, I'm going to tell you about a Bible reading plan. I think it will help you as I've given it to literally hundreds of people that it has helped. But reading the scripture is not about a program. And it's not about a plan, and it's not about finishing something with having the right amount of check marks. It's not about volume, as if to say, uh, is simply reading from Genesis to Revelation, getting from cover to cover. These things are not what causes the power of the Scripture to change our lives. Regular, consistent Bible reading is about transformation. It's about God coming and molding us and shaping us into the people that he wants us to be. And so it is now today, the text, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 14. This scripture, this scripture is such a blessing to know. Paul writing to Timothy, Timothy said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing those from whom you learned. Now, if I can just give some commentary there, that's why in the church, relationship is everything. We, we don't just log, log on 
log in somewhere online or just access information, and we're not changed by that. We, we access scripture from people we know. Moving on, verse 15, it says, and that from your childhood, you have known the sacred scriptures. Now, let me say something here. Does this not reemphasize to us the importance of children's and youth ministry? The importance of our Awana leaders meeting on January 6th? Because we learn so much biblical knowledge as children. Not that that diminishes those of you who did not have that opportunity. I'm just trying to encourage parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, church at Indian Lake. Let's not be uh, deficient in training our children in scripture which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now this scripture here is, this passage is referring to the Old Testament itself because the New Testament had not yet been canonized. Jesus himself believed the Old Testament was scripture and he quoted the Old Testament. Church fathers canonized the New Testament and so it is that for now centuries, we know the 39 books in the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament are God's word. It's set apart. It's scripture that people have preached from, that people have recited, that there's an anointing on these words, the words that are different from other words. They're different from other great literature. They're different from great instructive books. They're words that church tradition and church fathers have said, these words are trustworthy. These particular passages have been tested by the church and they're God's word. And that's why it's so important. There was a man named Augustine. Augustine helped form church doctrine. Probably probably one of the preeminent theologians that have helped form, especially the Western church. And I want, you, I want you to hear the story, and it will explain the title of this message today. Augustine's life as a young man was characterized by loose living and a search for answers to life, life's basic questions. He would follow various philosophers only to become disillusioned with their teachings. He went to hear the preaching of St. Ambrose, who was the Bishop of Milan. At first, he went only to hear Ambrose's eloquent style of speaking. But the bishop's preaching led Augustine to understand a, a new perspective on Scripture and the Christian faith. Sometimes, sometime later, it's the year 386, so it's many, many years ago. While Augustine was outdoors, he heard the voice of a child singing a song. The words of the song were this, pick it up and read it, pick it up and read it. He thought at first that the song was related to some kind of children's game, but he couldn't remember ever hearing such song in the village before. Then realizing that this song might be a command from God to open and read the scriptures, he located a Bible, picked it up, opened it, and read the first passage he saw. It was in Romans chapter 13, and here's what the scripture was. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, 
not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. He read this scripture and he felt in his heart a flood of light. And then that Easter, Easter of 387, Ambrose baptized him. And from that point forward, Augustine became one of the most important theologians. His interpretations of the scripture has helped us to this day. Now, why did I read this story, this important story? It gives you a little clue into the title today as you see some artistic de depiction of what an artist is assuming Augustine looked like. The power of this child song, we don't know if it was an actual child, we don't know if it was an angel, but the point is this, is the fact that he picked up the scripture and he read the scripture, it changed his life. Guys, this is what I wanna challenge you today. As you look into 2016, I wanna challenge you to simply pick up the scripture and start reading it. I know this, that if you allow God to consistently feed you with his word, there's no telling what your life is gonna be like in the coming days. One year, the church sent me to this really um, famous conference. And, and there were names that if I would tell you today, you would ooh and odd, you would recognize and say, oh, that man or that woman was such a great speaker, great Christian speakers in business, Christian speakers in politics, and pastors. And of all the great information, of all the great te techniques I heard, I traveled to another city, got on a plane, paid for a hotel room, brought expenses for food, and the host of this conference, as he was just kind of debriefing after a session, he, he just said this, for all of you pastors out there, I, I wanna challenge you to do one thing. Read the Bible every day. It'll change your life. I, I, I used all of that effort and time to go and hear these words because I wasn't in that period of my life reading the Bible as consistently as I should. Because here's the deal, we get so busy with other things that we forget the opportunity we have to read the scripture and what God has to say. I'm gonna to suggest to you four or five things today that regular Bible reading, consistent Bible reading will do for you. Number one is this, it'll give you a Christian worldview a Christian worldview. And this is the opportunity to base your life on something consistent, something that's tested, something that's established, something that has survived every political system, every social structure, something that has endured ideas that have come and that have gone, and that is the word of the Lord. The scripture gives us a worldview. Now, what is a worldview? George Guthrie said this. He said, a biblical worldview, such a view of the world has to do with interpreting reality with the Bible as the primary reference point. Not the only reference point, but the primary reference point. If I were to get on I-40 today and to head to Jackson or Memphis, thank God I don't have to do that because uh, Nashville, you know how we are biased against West Tennessee. Sorry, guys, you West Tennessee people. But if I was headed to West Tennessee, Greg's going to talk to me after service. I can tell. Yeah, he's, he's eyes on me. If I was headed out west, which I do frequently uh, because of my studies in Jackson, um, I put on sunglasses. And I, and I choose a particular type of sunglass, uh, not, not for fashion, but 
uh, because the driving kind of Ambrose tone, it changes everything I see. I'm looking at the road, I'm looking at the same objects, but the sunglasses put a filter over my eyes to help me see things different and in this case, more accurately. Now this is a limited but somewhat helpful analogy of what it is to have a worldview. A worldview means you see the same thing everyone else sees in the world, but there's a filter over your eyes and you see it differently. This is what a biblical worldview does. A biblical worldview uh, lets us draw the same conclusions from reason and from common sense and the same conclusions that the rest of the world uh, makes on all types of matters. But we have a filter and the filter is the scripture. And the scripture is what we're seeing the world through a different filter than those who don't believe the scripture. And what a gift that is to us. See, this is not something new to America. This is something that John dealt with when he talked to the churches that he oversaw. In 1 John chapter 4, we see this, verse 4. says this, You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, that's a scripture we like a lot. That the, the, the power of God within us is greater than the power that's in the world. But John is setting up this contrast, and he's setting up the fact that there are different worldviews for those who believe in God's truth and those who do not. Verse 5, they are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. Verse 6 we are from God, and anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. This is very clearly showing a contrast between how we view the world if we live according to Scripture or how we view the world if we're just living to whatever the whim and the social structure of that day is, or the opinion of that day is. It's very, very easy to move out of the spirit of truth into the spirit of deception, because ideas have power behind them. Thoughts have power behind them. We purchase our thoughts. We purchase our thoughts, we choose our thoughts, we choose to what we consume, and the fact that you chose to be in a church that preaches the Bible today, you've made a choice today to hear a message from the Bible. You, you've, you've made a choice to spend your time to hear a message from the Bible. So also we will make a choice how to spend our time and the way we integrate thoughts into our life here in the, in the coming hours, in the coming days. And we must be very clear that there's a spirit of truth and there's a spirit of deception. And here's what protects us from the spirit of deception is a regular reading of the scripture. Because if we don't have a regular exposure to the scripture, we're susceptible to being deceived. We have a Christian worldview. It affects the way we see everything. C.S. Lewis said it this way. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. In other words, that simply as when the sun rises and it affects everything during the daylight hours, so it is when we have a Christian worldview. It affects everything. Christianity is not something that we just 
check in with on Sunday mornings or even five or 10 minutes a day in our devotions. It's something that forms our hearts and it affects everything we do and everything we say. You know, maps are very good things to look at. Men, I want, you, I want this to get through your head. Maps are very good things to look at. Guys, we don't like to look at maps sometimes, do we? In addition to maps, there's something new, 10, 15 years old now, called the GPS. The GPS is a very good thing. But often, us men, we, we, we like to just figure it out on our own. One of my last trips to Texas, just, a, just maybe a year ago, we were in between Texarkana and Greenville. It was about two in the morning and we were gonna push it on into Dallas. Had to stop and get some gas and we were at a particular exit that had to really maneuver the lights and make three or four turns until we got to the gas station. So I fill up with gas and I'm getting back on the frontage road. And, and instead of backtracking, I decide to get on the frontage road because I know this, that in Texas, the highways, the access frontage roads always run parallel with the highway, always. I mean, I, I have still, to this day, have lived more years in Texas than in Tennessee. I know the highway system's there, and you can just run parallel with the highway and then get back on when you want to. And so, armed with this knowledge, I take off down the access roads, and Beth is looking at the GPS so small-minded not to follow your instincts. You're, you're, you're looking at the GPS. And so she kind of mentioned, she says, uh, uh, Aaron, I don't think this frontage road is going to connect back to the highway. I said, yes, it is. I've grown up in this state. I'm a Texan. Our highways are far superior than those in Tennessee. And the highway always runs parallel with the highway. And so she says, I'm telling you, I'm looking at this GPS. This is not going to work. Yes, it is. So I keep driving. And I do notice that a little bit of separation is starting to happen between the access road and the highway. But I'm sure it's going to bend back, right? I'm sure that's going to happen. Then I notice that the road is starting to get a little smaller. And it's getting a little less defined. And there's, the, there's not the nice paint lines on the road. And then there's like this really creepy overhang that's starting to happen. At this point, it's not just Beth. It's the other three kids, too. They're trying to convince me, turn around, Dad, turn around. And I'm like, no, I know this is going to work. Just about the time, granted, now remember now it's like 2.15 in the morning, okay? Just about the time that I'm starting to think, maybe Beth is right on this. Maybe I should start thinking about turning around. The road ends and we're on gravel. And here we are, 2 in the morning, and just, you know, hopping along on a gravel road. And then panic ensues in the car. Everybody says, ah, turn around, this is horrible. And usually I'm really calm, but I panic too. I say, everyone shut up right now. I'm turning around. So maps do help, don't they? Maps do help, and we've learned that, that the GPS is usually right unless you're Michael Scott and you're driving into a lake. Does anyone remember that episode? Okay, yeah. So maps help protect us. Here's the second point I want to make today is that Scripture is protection from false doctrine. I'm going to be frank with you. I'm amazed at the amount amount of people who are vulnerable to false doctrines who call themselves Christians. And I don't really want to be this demeaning because I understand that this is my film and, and I get paid, I guess, to study this stuff, so to speak. But it's very rare that someone joins our church that is ever even really concerned about doctrine. And then in addition to that, 
I, I'm, I'm amazed at how vulnerable our people are to these just kind of wild, crazy ideas, these new whims that come. And I, I don't want to be demeaning and I don't want to make anyone feel self-conscious I, I, because there's just a simple answer to this dilemma. Regular, consistent reading of Scripture. It protects us. It protects us from false doctrine. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 is a kind of an interesting passage we don't talk a lot about, but I came across this again in, in, in my personal Bible reading and connecting it to this message today. In this debate over a personality-driven Christianity, Apollos or Paul, people are trying to decide who they're going to follow, a great insight comes in verse 6. Now, brothers, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the saying. So evidently, this was a common saying among the church, the Corinthian church and the wider church. Nothing beyond what is written. That was a common saying of the day. It's, it's something that we've somewhat lost. Nothing beyond what is written. Now, here's what's interesting to me about this is again, as I emphasized in 2 Timothy 3, this is before the New Testament was canonized. And this was to a society where the vast majority of people were illiterate. So the, the people who read this or heard this phrase did not have the advantage of public education that we have access to, didn't come from a culture where reading was the norm. And yet, even in that culture, the early apostles are saying nothing beyond what is written, nothing beyond that which has been established as God's word. Number three is this. Regular Bible reading gives us principles for daily conduct. Now, the Bible does not give specific instructions on many of the issues we deal with. It doesn't give specific instructions on our driving habits, on our entertainment choices. It doesn't give us specific instructions on choosing a career. It doesn't say if your last name starts with a T, you need to be a computer engineer, thus saith the Lord. It's not quite that specific or easy. But it gives us something more timeless, more transcendent, more valuable than just rote instruction. It gives us wisdom from the divine. 2 Timothy 3.15, we've already read it, but I want to read the emphasis here. You know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation. The wisdom we have from God comes from the scripture. It gives us applicable principles that can help us in any situation, in any era, in any place that we're at. In any type of situation, no matter what your personality is, no matter what, what status in society that has been imposed upon you, no matter what your education level is, no matter where in the world that you live, principles from Scripture can give you that transcendent wisdom that can apply to any and every situation. Number four is this, personal conviction. Personal conviction. Can I just remind you, this is really hard for us to understand as modern Americans, that we, we value above all things to feel good. We just want to feel good. We don't ever want to be emotionally disrupted. We don't want to feel bad about ourselves. And while principles of a good self-image are good and are rooted in scriptures, especially starting in Genesis chapter 1, we're made in the image of God. Our self-image is important, but we don't 
make it an idol. So therefore, if I feel bad about myself because the Holy Spirit has exposed something in my life through the scripture, that is a blessing from God because then I can change. It's, it's not, it's a gift from God to receive conviction of the Holy Spirit. And if there's not been a time in your life in recent memory when you haven't felt like, man, that attitude or that choice of words or that lifestyle choice or, or that decision or that misuse of my money was wrong. If, if that has not happened to you in recent memory, then you've probably not been exposing yourself to the scripture. I don't say that to your shame. I say that because the discipline of the Lord is an expression of the love of the Lord. And when we are in the scripture on a regular basis, it convicts us. It happened to me yesterday. In my regular Bible reading, I was in the book of Jude. And I realized that some of my attitudes did not line up with the teaching from the book of Jude. And it convicted me. And guess what? I repented. And I'm not, I don't feel bad anymore. I feel free. I feel aligned with his spirit. I feel aligned with his word. I feel like I'm in the place God has called me to be. When I was about 10 years old, my grandparents took me on a trip to West Texas. West Texas is a desert if you've never been there. It's hot, it's arid, but that's where my grandma was from. Earlier this summer, about six months ago, we redid that trip to Marfa, Texas with my, with my family, with my sister and her family, with my mom, and it was such a delightful trip. One of the places I went 30 years ago, and I went again this year, is a place in West Texas. It is the world's largest spring-fed uh, swimming hole. It's called Balamaray. Balamaray is a beautiful place. It is fed by a, by a spring, and the water is almost completely clear. In fact, Beth took this picture, uh, and the picture doesn't give it justice, but you can get an idea of the rugged terrain and this clear, beautiful water. You can see the bottom, and it is ice cold water. The problem with this swimming hole is getting there because it's about a 12-hour drive from Dallas through the most desolate land you'll ever be in, and it is hot. You park your car at the state park, and you get out, and you can see the heat rising off the asphalt. And then it's that dusty grime gets on you, and you kind of get this dust on you, and then you're usually sweaty, and so your shirt's sticking to you, and then there's that dirt that kind of gets on your toes because you're wearing flip-flops, and it's pretty disgusting, you know, the whole atmosphere. But then you jump into that pool, and everything changes. You go from being hot and grimy and slimy to just the refreshing of that swimming hole. It's such a great feeling. How many know it feels good to be clean, does it not? Ten-year-old boys haven't realized that usually, but by the time they're 13 or 14, they realize a shower and soap and deodorant and cologne are good things because it feels good to be clean. Here's my last point of why regular Bible reading is good for us, the purity of the soul. The purity of the soul. In this world where we get grimy just because evil exists, even if we're completely moral, and none of us are completely moral, 
uh, because of our sinful nature. But even if we have one of those weeks where, like, we're, we're doing pretty good. We're being pretty disciplined, and, and we're, we're applying God's word. Even just the atmosphere of evil, even just seeing acts of evil that are occurring in the world today just, just weighs on us, just puts a kind of a layer of filth on us. Going back to the word washes us, purifies us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. I, I, I gave you the scripture not too long ago, but I want to repeat it again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, for the point of today's sermon, let's emphasize not necessarily the marriage part, but the Christ part. Christ loved the church. This is how Christ loved the church. He gave himself for the, her, made her holy, and this is how, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Cleansing her with the washing of water. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, to be holy and blameless. Verse 26 gives us insight that God uses the word of God to wash us. It's like the soap, it's like the shower, it's like the spring-fed swimming hole that we jump in in August when we're slimy and hot and dirty. It feels right and pure and good and clean, and it's available to you. It's available to you. So what I want us to do in these last few minutes we have today, I, I want you just to give reflection on what role can the scripture play in your life? What role can consistent Bible reading play in your life? And I, I wanna suggest to you, if you could read the Bible three to five times a week, that would be great. Some of you do it seven times a week, way to go. Had someone come up to me, I don't wanna brag you, Pastor Aaron, but I do it every day. Good for you. The rest of us, we're trying to get there about five times a week, three to five times a week. And, and, and it's a good thing. I have a plan I've been giving people for years. It's called the five by five by five plan. And it'll take you through the New Testament in the year, 25 readings a month. There's usually 30 to 31 days a month. So knowing that five or six times a week, you know, you may not get to it. Uh, if you're one of those who can do it every day, then you can use Sundays as those days to, to not use the plan to reflect on the scriptures we share here. But if you don't have a starting place, take one of these as you leave today and, and, and go through the New Testament in a year. I know there's something within us that says, I want to do the whole Bible. And, and that's a good thing to do. It's very difficult to read the whole Bible in a year for, for most people. So start with the New Testament and then supplement the Old Testament as the Holy Spirit leads you, especially the Psalms. Reading the Psalms every day is such a good thing. Uh, but go to key stories in the Old Testament. But I want to challenge you to read the New Testament this year. Even if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, please read the New Testament this year because you will be a well-rounded, educated person by reading the New Testament. And then you can, um, all of us, you know, if we're creepy Christians and, and you can say, well, I've read that and try to debunk it or whatever, but at least read it and read it because I believe the power of the Holy Spirit on that scripture will change your life. Would you stand with me?